in our book, in the book of uh, Joshua, looking at the faithfulness of God. And we're going to be skipping ahead several chapters, but I want to fill you in on kind of the general summary of what we've been looking at. Joshua describes a very important part of Israel's history, the taking of the, the possession of the, the promised land. And we saw that the campaign, campaign began with really the conquest of two central cities. There is uh, Jericho. Does this have a pointer? Oops, didn't want to do that. Uh, there's Jericho and Ai. And so what happens is, is, is um, Joshua goes in and through um, God's strength, he conquers those two cities. And then in Joshua chapter 9, we see that, that uh, God also gives victory uh, over Adonai, Zedek, and five other kings of the north. And so he moves north. And then in Joshua chapter, chapter 10, he moves south and takes the southern part of the land. So now um, the entirety of the promised land is in possession of the Israelites. This brings us to Joshua chapter 11, verse 15, where it says, just as the Lord had commanded Moses his servant, so Moses commanded Joshua, and so Joshua did. And he left nothing undone of all that God had commanded Moses. And so here we see that, uh, that everything was done in accordance to what God had commanded. And then in Joshua chapter 11, verse 23, it says, so Joshua took the whole land according to all that the Lord had spoken to Moses, and Joshua gave it for an inheritance to Israel according to their tribal allotments. And then the land had rest from war. So this is a major, major turning point. This is actually the whole purpose of the book here is this taking of the promised land. And then in Joshua chapters 13 through 21, which is a major part of the book of Joshua, there's this extended detailed account of the allotment of the land. And we talked about this at the very beginning of the series where we said, um, you know, this person got this land and, and this person got the land from the Negev to here and, and so much detail. And we, 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 when we read this book and we're like, wow, you know, um, was it, wasn't it, why does, does God devote like so many chapters to talk about who got which land? I mean, it seems like for us, we'd say, wouldn't it be easier if Joshua, it just says one verse, you know, Joshua gave the land uh, to the people in accordance with God's commands. And that's all you have to say. You don't have to cover all these things. So why is it that, now if you read Joshua, you can go back and read those chapters and you'll say, wow, there is a lot of stuff in there. Every single um, uh, tribe is described really specifically, like not got this land, it's like really specific areas of land. And, and why does God include this in the scripture? Um, the reason why God includes this in the scripture is that so when the Jewish farmer looks over his newly tilled land in the Negev, as he anticipates, you know, the coming bounty, he'll be reminded that this very land was a gift from God. It was not his. He's wondering, where do we get this? God gave it to him. It was also written so that when a child looks over the flocks for his father, his dad can put his hand on his shoulder and say, you know, someday this land, from the valley of Himnon to the ascent of the Adumnan Hills, is going to be yours. And he can open up the book of Joshua and he can say, this land, this specific land where, where you stand right now was given to me by my father, from his father, from his father, from his father. 
from the grace and goodness of God written right here in the book of Joshua. And see, see, the book of Joshua, every detail, every name just gushes forth with this immeasurable idea of the faithfulness of God, that God always does exactly what he says, that everything that we have is because of God and his goodness. And now we come to Joshua, Joshua chapter 21, and we not only find this, this, this final reiteration of this grand theme, but we're reminded of what it means now for us to be faithful to God. So I'd like you to turn with me to Joshua chapter 21, verse 43. Joshua chapter 21, verse 43. In reverence for God's word, let's all stand together. And it says, so the Lord gave Israel all the land he had sworn to give their forefathers, and they took possession of it and settled there. And the Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their forefathers. Not one of their enemies withstood them. The Lord handed all their enemies over to them. Not one of all God's good promises to the house of Israel failed. Everyone was fulfilled. And when Joshua summoned the Reubenites, the Gadites, and half the tribe of Manasseh, he said to them, You have done all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you. You have obeyed me in everything I have commanded. For a long time now to this very day, you have not deserted your brothers, but have carried out the mission the Lord gave you. Now the Lord your God has given your brothers rest as he promised. So return to your homes in the land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you on the other side of the Jordan. But be very careful to keep the commandment and the law that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave to you, to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to obey his commands, to hold fast to him, and to serve him with all your heart and all your soul. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. See, from this passage, we're going to see that the faithfulness of God actually demands faithfulness in return. This is the demand of God's faithfulness. Now, there, there are so many reminders of God's faithfulness if you look at it. Um, for example, uh, Facebook. He's going, we're Facebook. When I look at Facebook and uh, when my son and, and his wife, his new wife, post things, uh, pictures of them, you know, I, I thank God for his faithfulness. And I say, God, wow, you're so faithful and so good. As I think about my son and I think about the wife that, that God has given to him, I say, God, thank you, God. Um, when I see my daughter, she takes off to, to work early in the morning to go to church to serve, and I say, thank God. Thank you, God, for your faithfulness. Uh, even when she makes a mess with all her stuff from work, you know, leaves it all over the place, I say, man, thank God for your faithfulness, God. Because, because I, I remember how the journey that you brought my daughter to, to this place where she's now in ministry. And I said, God, you're so faithful. Um, when I look at my wife and we just celebrated our, you know, well, we had 30 years of marriage. And I look at that and, and I say, man, thank God, 30 years together. When I look at this church and, and the people here and all of you here, you know, every Sunday, and I, and I can stand up here and look at your faces and I can see some of you and I know the journeys that you have been through, uh, very difficult ones. And I know and I remember places where we were not in very good places at certain times and, and sometimes wondering what the future was going to be. And I look now and, and say, thank God, because God, you are so 
are faithful. You are so good. When I see you here today, when I look at, think of our house, think of our house, even when I'm in our house and things like that, and think about the fact that that, that you know when we moved here and we were looking at houses and thinking, ah, we can't do, we can't afford anything here, you know, we can't afford compete with all these people who are putting you know a hundred thousand dollars more bid than the the asking price. I said, we're never going to afford a place here. And then when I look at our house that we've been able to live in and say, thank God, you're so faithful, because we never believed that. We, you know, even when we first started ministry, I think. I, would, I was under the assumption that I would never for, the, for my entire life ever own a house. And that was what I had be, be, begun to be ready to accept uh, in my life and yet to, to be able to have a place, um, I thank God. And then my friends, um, you know, had a, 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 a 60th birthday and I went and was able to meet some old friends and talk to them and find out how they're doing. And, and again, I sit there and say, man, God, you are so um, faithful to be able to still have these friends, and one of them you'll meet in a couple of weeks, uh, who, who, who was really God's instrument in forming who I am, in a sense, uh, before Christ, as a, as a young Christian, and, and to see that, that, that God brought that person into my life at the right time, and, and, and brought me you know, to where I am through his words and through his friendship, and I, I sit back and say, man, God, if, if there ever um, were, were, were times to think about, you know, is God faithful? I can look at these things and be reminded, man, it's wonderful. It's wonderful to witness the faithfulness of God right before our eyes, to see God answer prayer, to see God provide just what is needed, just at the right time. We've seen those things. We experience the faithfulness of God in our lives. We see how even the trials and, and the struggles that we've been through, that God used those things to to, to, to bring about something we never thought would happen. And something we're so glad that he brought us through. It's so great to hear the testimonies and the stories of, of God's faithfulness working among even just the mundane or the miraculous and, and the people that we love. And it gives us reason to, to continue to praise him, to love him. And here in Joshua chapter 21 and 22, as we think about the faithfulness of God, we're given this solemn charge, he says, to those of you, meaning us, who have experienced the faithfulness of God in all of its fullness, that we are now called to be faithful to him for the rest of our lives. That's really what this passage is about. And there are three things we want to understand about the demand of God's faithfulness. First of all, we want to look at the nature of God's faithfulness, and that is God's faithfulness is perfect. Is perfect. Now, those of you who are engineers or whatever, you know, you work um, and you're about to ship a product, and you don't want to hear the testers say, well, you know, after, you know, we're ready to launch, well, you know, how, did you test everything? Yeah, it's almost perfect. We've almost got all the bugs out of it. But go ahead and send it out. Doesn't matter. And we don't want that. I mean, we want to be confident. We want the tester to say, we tested everything out over these. You know, you told us this schedule, and you gave us this schedule, and, and we still tested it, and everything is perfect. No problems. We've got all the bugs. Then we're like, that's, I can rest. Um, if you uh, have a friend or someone at work who says, um, you can count on me, most of the time. <laughs> Most of the time. 
then that's hard. You know, you want to be confident that I can count on you all the time. See, when, 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 when people say, well, almost, or most of the time, sometimes we, we have to be on our guard, right? Because we're kind of like, I can't be totally at rest because uh, I can't move forward completely because I'm always worried about that, you know, that, that 1%. That almost, you know, it's almost there, but, but not quite. And so I can't fully give it over and say, I don't need to have any control over this, you know, because I do need to have control over this because I'm not sure. What if that person, you know, doesn't come through in that one time when we really need it? What if that product, you know, there's a bug there that they didn't catch and, and I, have to, I have to be constantly thinking about, you know, being on my guard to make sure that I'm ready to take control because you never know what's going to happen because there's always that little one thing that, 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 that's not completely um, faithful. But God, God's not like that. God's not, well, I got, my, I got your life in my hands most of the time. Yeah, I got you covered most of the time. He doesn't say, well, I have every circumstance of your life completely under my care, almost, we're working on it. No. God doesn't say, well, you can entrust your entire future in my hands, every aspect, because I got you covered. Well, most of the, you know, the important stuff anyways. No, God says, I've got everything. God says, I'm perfect. There's nothing incomplete. Every single promise, everything God has done is faithful. God is not lacking in anything. We look at verse 43. Verse 43 of this chapter says, So the Lord gave Israel all the land he had sworn to give their forefathers, and they took possession of it and settled there. The Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their forefathers. Not one of their enemies withstood them. The Lord handed all their enemies over to them. Not one of all the Lord's good promises promises to the house of Israel failed, every one was fulfilled. You look at the language here, try to highlight it. It says, all the land. It says, every side, just as he had sworn, not one of their enemies. It says, all their enemies, not one of all the God's promises. Every one was fulfilled. Now, it sounds kind of redundant. It's like he's saying this over and over and over again. Like, well, you just say it one time, but the language here is emphasizing the fact that if you didn't get it, if we didn't get it already, he's saying God's faithfulness um, is perfect. God kept his promise to Israel. God performed every part of his obligation. Uh, the Abrahamic covenant, the land was given to him. They settled there. They had rest on every side. Nothing uh, was, was, was left out of the things that God wanted to do. See, this is the nature of God's faithfulness. Not just in this instance, but every time. Everything he does. This is how God rolls. All the land is given. All the enemies defeated. All God's promises came true. This is the faithfulness of God. And if indeed all of life flows from our concept of God, then this is very big. This is important. Because it actually determines, it puts into motion all of our decisions, all our reactions, our thinking process, everything about us as we approach life as a whole. I mean, one of the most important questions we can ask ourselves is, what is um, an area in my life where I'm not fully confident? 
of God's complete faithfulness. Now I know that's kind of a weird question, but think about it for a minute. In what area of my life am I not fully confident that God is completely faithful? Now I can put it in another way, which is a little bit maybe uh, more direct. What are the areas in our life where we have the greatest fear and worry right now? Where are our fears? Am I worried about my future? Am I worried about my work? Am I worried about my kids? Am I worried about my reputation? Am I worried about you know, what's going to happen to me? Where are, 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 are my, my fears and where, am I, where do I tend to, another question is, uh, where do I tend to be impatient? Where do I tend to rush and, and make bad decisions? You know, where I'm, I'm hasty, where I'm, I'm, I'm acting too fast, where I'm getting frustrated and I do things and I, and I make a mess and I, I look back and I say, you know, I made a mess in this and I made a mess in this and, 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 and uh, what are those areas in my life right now that, that, that I tend to do that? What are the areas in my life right now where I tend to get angry or frustrated? Like, how come they're not doing this right? How come my kids are not behaving right? How come uh, uh, my wife, my husband still doesn't understand? How come at work it's like this? Uh, where do we get angry? Where do we get frustrated? I believe that a lot of these emotions and these issues really go back to our belief in God. And that, that they expose uh, uh, some areas where we may not fully trust in the faithfulness of God. There's that, that one aspect where we're like, eh, I still need to hold on to, I still need to, to have control over this. I still need to worry about this. And when it doesn't go like I want it to, man, do I get frustrated or I, I get really worried and fearful and I can't sleep. And I just think about it all the time. Why? Because I don't trust God. Why am I worried about my grades so much? Why am I so worried about my grades? When, my, when, when people tell me that, you know, 10 years from now, it doesn't even matter what grades I get. Why am I so bent out of shape about this? Because I'm afraid that God is not faithful. That he's not going to get me into the right college. He's not going to give me a future. He's not going to give me the life that I want in terms of the respect and the love that I really, really want. And so, so I need to worry and, and take care of these things because I'm, af I'm afraid. The, the, these are ways in which we, we think about um, the, the faithfulness of God. And, and we want to ask the question even further, how can I change specific thoughts and behaviors in order to foster a greater trust in God's faithfulness. So we say, well, Pastor Harrison, how do I have more faith? How do I, well, sometimes a, a lot of it is a matter of just acting as if God is faithful and seeing that he is. And if we're always fearful that I don't think God's faithful and we're always living like that and always taking control, we really don't have a chance to see God's faithfulness in action. But if we begin to act as if God is faithful, I start making decisions believing that God 
has my future in mind. I start making decisions and acting like, oh, well, that God loves my marriage and loves my kids. Uh, I start making decisions so that I know that, hey, God's got my future and my retirement. He'll have my retirement taken care of. I don't have to worry if I've got everything lined up. If we begin to act like God is faithful, we'll begin to see that God is faithful and that God is perfect and that he doesn't leave anything behind. And so we want to ask the question, how can I begin to change certain thoughts, certain behavior in order to foster and in order to see this faithfulness of God in our lives, whether it's your work, whether it's uh, in school, whether it's, it's, it's decisions that you're making right now, very important decisions about your future. You know, are we taking control of our lives and thinking, I got to do this, or are we really saying, um, I trust God, that God's going to take care of this for me. The first thing we see again about the demand uh, of God's faithfulness is God's perfect faithfulness. That's the, that's, that's the foundation of everything we talk about next. The second thing we want to look at is what does it mean to actually be faithful? What is God asking for us uh, in terms of being faithful in return? And we see that really faithfulness involves uh, a sense of sacrificial obedience. So I'd like you to look at verse 1. It says, Joshua summoned the Reubenites, the Gadites, and half the tribe of Manasseh and said to them, you have done all that Moses the servant of Lord commanded you. You have obeyed me in everything I commanded. For a long time now, even to this day, you have not deserted your brothers and sisters, and you have carried out the mission the Lord your God gave you. Now, he, he, he focuses on um, three tribes, uh, the Gadites, uh, the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the Manassehites, or whatever we're going to call them. And um, he says, you guys did a good job. You can now return to your land. Now, what's up with this? Why does he point out these people? Well, it's important to understand geography here. So what's going on here is um, you have this uh, conquest of the promised land, right? So the Israelites came in from this side. They crossed the Jordan and took this land, right? Now, if you'll notice, Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh are all on this side of the, of the, of the River Jordan, which is, not, which is where all the... Uh, there's no tribes there. It's really easy. You just walk in, take the land. Where the tribes were, where the, where the, the difficulty and the struggle was going to be was on this side of the land. And so when Israel came in and they, they settled here at Gilgal, getting ready for taking of the land, they're like, oh, all this land on this side is all safe. In fact, the Gadites and Manasseh and Reuben, they already settled their, their families there already. They already portioned out their lands, their family, the children, their wives are all there, their houses, everything's set up there. And Joshua now says, okay, now you guys got what you need. You join us because your brothers have not gotten their land yet. And we're all going to work together in this struggle because we're a nation together. And um, so these tribes have settled. You know, the hard part was coming. Israel is going to have to fight numerous battles. Um, and for seven long years, the uh, people of Manasseh, Gad, and Reuben, they were separated from their wives and families, and uh, they would not settle back in their land until uh, all the land was taken. They'd have to trek up the mountains. Uh, they'd have to fight inland, uh, uh, the risk of death and injury. Uh, so there were so many reasons why these eastern tribes would be really tempted to kind of give up, right? Because they say, well, we got our land already. And, uh, but Joshua says to them, you know, I commend you. Because to this very day, you have not deserted your brothers, but you have carried out the mission the Lord your God has given you. 
You've remained loyal to your brothers. And, and, and Joshua affirms that this loyalty is not simply just to the Israelites, but he says uh, it's, it's ultimately an expression of their loyalty um, to God. And this gives us insight into the faithfulness of what, what God is looking for, this idea of loyalty, uh, loyalty to God, sacrificial obedience, and, and this sense that even when we have everything we always wanted, even if you feel like, oh, God's faithfulness, he's so good, I mean, I've got everything that I want, which they did, um, uh, Joshua's reminding them, say, but the kingdom of God is not just about you. It's about all of us. It's about the, 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 the movement of, of, of God taking this land. You know, a, a lot of us here, there's some of us, not a lot of us here, some of us here, um, older folk, and uh, we get to that point where we're like, kids are gone, I can relax. I, I did my hard work. Uh, I'm not one of those young persons who are trying to climb up the ladder anymore, I don't care. You know, I got my whatever retirement built up pretty good, you know, and uh, kids are okay, and uh, house is paid off, and you know, 10 more years, five more years, I'm gonna retire. And it's kind of like we get to that place where it's like, well, I got everything I wanted, right? I, I can rest. Um, this, is, this is what I've been working for all our life, all my life. And in fact, that's what the world kind of does to us, right? The world says that. The world says, yeah, you know, why are you doing all this? It's because you're working for that day when you finally have everything you want. And when you have everything you want, then according to TV, you just go to all these exotic places and, you know, everywhere and, and just enjoy and have good food and not have to worry about, you know, high cholesterol or whatever, <laughs> things like that. You just do all, everything you want, you know? And that's what the world says. But, but God says here, he says, you know, even though... Um, even if God has given us everything we've ever wanted. It's not about us. That's, that's not what the kingdom of God is about. It's about the glory of Jesus. It's about the movement of the kingdom of God and peace. It's about coming alongside those in our midst who have yet to find rest who are still struggling in that spiritual walk and we come alongside them and we minister to them because they're part of the family of God and we're working together, we're in this race together. It's about uh, every day in the world that we're going out to, we're going to a world that's dying without hearing the name of Jesus Christ. It's about continuing to do the tough work of following hard after Jesus for his will, for his glory, for his kingdom until Jesus returns. Faithfulness involves sacrificial obedience. Am I willing to sacrifice to serve, even if there's no direct benefit for me? Even if I already got everything I want? Even if, in fact, serving and honoring God actually puts at risk the things that I have already accumulated and saved for myself? You think about finance, what if I do this? You know, I already had my retirement all set. If I do this, it's gonna change everything. Well, if God wants you to do that, you put it at risk. Say, my plans were always this way. We work so hard to do this, and if we change now, if, if God asked me to do this, what's going to happen? And we say, well, it's not, about, it's not about these things. It's about following the will of God sacrificially 
and obediently. It's about thinking about Jesus Christ and the mind of Christ who placed the needs of others above his own, who not only gave up his glory and comfort in heaven, but he made himself a servant, even a servant unto death on the cross for your sake, for my sake. That's, that's the faithfulness of God that drives us. If you're here and you do not know Jesus Christ as Savior and you say, well, what did God ever do for me? And what is he going to do for me? And the Bible says that God gave his son Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sin so that even if everything in this world is just horrible, despicable for the rest of our lives, when my life is over, God says, I have a, I have a beautiful and wonderful plan for you. I have, a, I have a heaven that's waiting for you and you don't have to worry about your future ever. No matter what happens, if you lose everything in this life, you will gain everything in the future. You don't have to worry. That's God's promise through Jesus Christ. God is always faithful. He always keeps his promises. There is no need to doubt. And we may doubt about the things that God does in our lives here and say, God, I kind of hope that you would do this. God, I kind of hope that I would have this. God, I kinda... And we may say, well, God disappointed me here and there. Uh, he really didn't disappoint us, but we may feel that way. But if we're worried about God's promise of heaven, you know, saying, God says, I promise that you, if you humble yourself, if you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sin, for my sin, if we believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, and put our faith in him and follow him. God says, I promise you that your future is secure in heaven and nothing will take you out of my hands. Nothing, not Satan, not nothing. Nothing you do will take you out of my hands. This is my promise to you. This is, I will be faithful to this promise no matter what happens in this life, no matter what you do, no matter what people do, no matter what you doubt or think in this world. This promise is secure, why? Because it's not about what we have done to earn this. It's because God says, I've already given Jesus on the cross to die for my sin, for our sins, and there's no need for, that's the greatest sacrifice God ever made to secure this for us. There's nothing else needs to be done. There's nothing else that needs to be fulfilled. There's nothing else that can take away what Jesus has done on the cross and undo that. And so if we put our faith in Jesus Christ, if you put your faith in Jesus, and I urge you to do so, um, that is one promise that you can hold secure for the entirety of your lives. And, and, and God now, again, talking to all of us as we think about you know, our faithfulness to God, when we say, I'm gonna be faithful to God, it's not just, oh, you know, God, I'm gonna be faithful to give my offering, I'm gonna be faithful to show up at church, I'm gonna be faithful to you know, fulfill my commitments. Uh, this is really a sense of, I will be faithful to place the needs of others above my own. I'll be faithful to live as Jesus did. Um, to be willing to be like the, the Reubenites and the, and the Gadites and the Manassas, to say, even though we got what we wanted in this life, we really are living for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of others, to see that others also will get the peace and the, and, and, and the blessing that God wants to give them as well.
And so we've looked at the, the perfect faithfulness of God. We've looked at uh, what does it mean to, to be faithful. And finally, we, will look at, we want to see that faithfulness is an ongoing endeavor. Joshua says, be careful to continue to be faithful. Look at verse 4. It says, now that the Lord your God has given your brothers rest as he promised, return to your lands that Moses, the servant of God, gave to you on the other side of the Jordan. Verse, 20, verse 5 says, be very careful to keep the commandment and the law of Moses, the servant of God gave you, to love the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to obey his commands, to hold fast to him, and to serve him with all your heart and all your soul. Joshua says, now that the Lord has given you rest. And what's interesting here is rest is the idea of freedom to live without the fear of war from any of the surrounding nations. That's what Joshua's talking about. He says, he's giving you rest. I mean, you don't have to worry about these nations. He didn't say, okay, move into the promised land. Don't bother anybody, but just hope that nobody comes and takes your stuff. No, he says, no, we will, I'm gonna give you rest. You don't have to fear. And then he says, be very careful. Meaning, be very careful is like, stay alert. It's like a watchman on a wall. It's like if you are, uh, there's a fortress in an enemy territory, and they're saying, okay, you're the watchman because we're all resting and, you know, resting. So you stand on the wall and you let us know when the enemy's coming so that we can get ready. So obviously you're going to be very diligent, vigilant, whatever, and very careful <laughs> to watch for this enemy. So this is kind of an interesting contrast. Well, on the one hand, um, Joshua says, God's giving you rest. No one's going to attack you. You're going to have peace. Don't worry about it. And then on the other hand, God says, but uh, uh, be like a watchman. Watch out for the enemy because you never know when the enemy's going to come. So you're like, well, wait a minute, God. That doesn't make sense. You want to rest? Or are you going to be alert? Are we at war? Or are we at peace? I don't understand, God. What are you saying? Joshua's saying that the greatest threat will not come from without, but from within. The greatest danger is not someone coming to take your land, but it is something coming to take your heart from God. And he says, yes, you're at peace from physical attack, but be on guard constantly because this battle continues, because the enemy now is still there and he is waiting for an opportunity to overcome. And it's not a matter of taking the stuff that you own or taking the land that God has promised, but it's taking your heart, it's taking your heart away from God, that that's gonna be the greatest risk and danger in this land now, and we need to be vigilant. And, and, and Joshua gives several connected commands. He says, uh, uh, keep the commandments of the law, love the Lord your God, walk in his ways, obey his commands, hold fast to him, serve him with all your heart, with all your soul. Now again, these are a lot of commands, it's hard, and we're always taught, you know, when you give more than the three, people don't remember, so it's gotta be, you know, six is too many to remember. But at any rate, we're, here's the thing. If you look at these commands, there are several things going on here. First of all, there's this idea of walk in all his ways. Now, what does it mean to walk in all his ways? Walk means to live about in a realm. Um, I don't know if many of you have been to uh, Toronto, but in Toronto, particularly in the north, um, there's what they call these like, I don't even know, it's not like Chinatown. It's kind of like the whole city is like mini Hong Kong. It's kind of like you go there and you literally feel like you're living in Hong Kong because the signs have Chinese on them. Um, everybody's talking Chinese. Um, even the shops are designed like Hong Kong. And so when you go there and the food, you know, is like 
Chinese food you'd get in Hong Kong. So when you go to these places, you're, you're in Toronto and you're in, you know, in Ontario, and it's like, oh, everything's Western, Western. And then you go to this one area in the middle of all this Westernized, and you're like, wow, I feel like I'm like in this realm where everything is different. Now, wouldn't it be weird if like, you know, you lived in a, a city that everywhere is worldly and everybody's struggling and everybody's selfish and everybody's lying and everybody's trying to get to the top and everybody's giving themselves to uh, things that are wasteful and hurtful. And then there's this one little area where you go and like, oh, everybody wants to honor God. Oh, everybody's thinking about how to have the heart of Jesus Christ towards another person. Everybody's trying to seek uh, the glory of God and, and the kingdom of God. And you say, that would be really interesting. I'd love to like, live in that space. You know, where is that space? Where's that space in Oakland? Where's that space in, in, in San Jose? Where's that space in Cupertino where I can go, where, where everything is, is honoring God? Well, God's saying that space is wherever you go. When you walk in his ways, when you walk about as if you are in this place where God is being honored, then wherever you go, uh, God is being honored. That's really the picture of this idea of walk in his ways. It's not just following rules. It's like really bringing this sense of, 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 of this, this honoring of God, this, this, this atmosphere of honoring God, of God wherever you go. And that's what God is saying, that this is what he is commanding the Israelites to do as they go into this promised land. And the promised land, there's still people there who have yet to be conquered. There's still uh, areas there where people have yet to learn of God. And he's saying, wherever you go, you bring this sense of the honor of God, the heart for God, and, and, and you walk in his ways. And that's what walking in his ways. And then it talks about a relationship. It says, love the Lord. Lord your God, hold fast to him. This is a relationship with God. Without relationship with God, I mean, everything is nothing, right? Without love, then everything we do is nothing. I mean, Paul said that really clearly. So we see this idea of relationship. We see the idea of obedience. Uh, we see this, this sense that, that relationship must work itself out in obedience to keep the commandments of the law, law, law. That if we say, well, I love God. God, I love you so much, but I don't really care about what you think. Uh, I'm not really going to do what you like. Um, you know, that, that's not really love, right? Um, and so love and obedience. And then finally we see there is service. Serve him with all your heart, with all your soul. And uh, this, is, this is what God is saying. Watchmen on the walls. And where we're at. These three things. Relationship, obedience, and service. These are the areas as we pray and think, you know, how is my relationship with God? Am I really clinging to him? Am I really, you know, walking with him through prayer and seeking the things that he seeks because I love him so much? Am I obedient to him? Is, is my life, as much as I love him, are there areas in my life right now that I'm still being kind of selfish? I'm still kind of, you know, letting, do my, doing my things, the things I want to do, and I'm not wanting to do the things God really wants right now? Is there areas in my life where it's not really obedient? Service, you know, service reminds us that, 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 that the kingdom of God is not about me. Service reminds us to say that it's about others. As I start serving others, I start seeing this heart of Christ being built in me. And so as we close today, as we think about, you know, uh, being a watchman on the walls, and this is what God is calling. If we really do believe, and I hope we all believe, God is faithful. He's so faithful. 
And we know now that God is calling us to be faithful to him. He's not asking us to be perfect. He's not asking us to give our lives to the fire and all this kind of stuff. He's asking to say, hey, as a watchman on the wall, as we think of these three things, as we pray about transformation, as we pray about our lives and reflect on our lives, is God saying something about one of these areas to me right now? Is God saying something to me about my relationship with him? God's saying, you've got to slow down and really spend time with me. You've got to hear from me because I have so many things I want to tell you. Is God saying, well, you know, there's an area in our life right now, my life right now, that you know and I know. God says, you know and I know. We've got to get this thing under the word of God right now. And we've been playing, you've been playing around a lot, and God says, this time, be that watchman and, and ask God to change that. Service, we say, well, you know, it's so busy, so many things to do, and God says, you know, if it's so busy, then we're too busy because God wants us to really be involved in caring and loving and, 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 and making and bringing the kingdom of God forward. That, that's a part of what he is asking us. So we spend that time, we really pray and, and ask of God, which are these areas in which God is saying to us, how can we be faithful to him? Let's go ahead and let's spend some time in prayer. Let's go ahead and bow our heads in quietness before him. And as your heads are bowed down, your eyes are closed, I really want to ask God to, 